Hi, this is Laura Bulgreen, and today we'll be reading Genesis chapter 44. When his brothers were ready to leave, Joseph gave these instructions to his palace manager. Fill each of their sacks with as much grain as they can carry, and put each man's money back into his sack. Then put my personal silver cup at the top of the youngest brother's sack, along with the money for his grain. So the manager did as Joseph instructed him. The brothers were up at dawn and were sent on their journey with their loaded donkeys. But when they had gone only a short distance and were barely out of the city, Joseph said to his palace manager, chase after them and stop them. When you catch up with them, ask them, why have you repaid my kindness with such evil? Why have you stolen my master's silver cup, which he uses to predict the future? What a wicked thing you have done. When the palace manager caught up with the men, he spoke to them as he had been instructed. What are you talking about? The brothers responded. We are your servants and would never do such a thing. Didn't we return the money we found in our sacks? We brought it back all the way from the land of Canaan. Why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If you find his cup with any one of us, let that man die. And all the rest of us, my lord, will be your slaves. That's fair, the man replied, but only the one who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go free. They all quickly took their sacks from the backs of their donkeys and opened them. The palace manager searched the brother's sacks from the oldest to the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. When the brothers saw this, they tore their clothing in despair. Then they loaded their donkeys again and returned to the city. Joseph was still in his palace when Judah and his brothers arrived, and they fell to the ground before him. What have you done? Joseph demanded. Don't you know that a man like me can predict the future? Judah answered, O oh my Lord, what can we say to you? How can we explain this? How can we prove our innocence? God is punishing us for our sins. My Lord, we have all returned to be your slaves, all of us, not just our brother who had your cup in his sack. No, Joseph said, I would never do such a thing. Only the man who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go back to your father in peace. Then Judah stepped forward and said, Please, my Lord, let your servant say just one word to you. Please do not be angry with me, even though you are as powerful as Pharaoh himself. My Lord, previously you asked us, your servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we responded, yes, my Lord, we have a father who is an old man, and his youngest son is a child of his old age. His full brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him very much. And you said to us, bring him here so I can see him with my own eyes. But we said to you, My lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for his father would die. But you told us, Unless your youngest brother comes with you, you will never see my face again. So we returned to your servant, our father, and told him what you had said. Later, when he said, Go back again and buy us more food, we replied, We can't go unless you let our youngest brother go with us. We'll never get to see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then my father said to us, As you know, my wife had two sons and one of them went away and never returned. Doubtless he was torn to pieces by some wild animal. I have never seen him since. Now if you take his brother away from me and any harm comes to him, you will send this grieving, white-haired man to his grave. And now, my lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is bound up in the boy's life. If he sees that the boy is not with us, our father will die. We, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving, white-haired man to his grave. My lord, I guaranteed to my father that I would take care of the boy. I told him, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame forever. So please, my lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. 
for how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. So, Joseph and his brothers have been through a lot at this point. When they were younger, Joseph antagonized them with predictions that one day they would all bow down to him. And eventually they got so fed up with him that they sold him off to a life of slavery in, in a cruel move that may have been more impulsive than intentional. It's likely that they all thought they would never see each other again. But then years later, Joseph's brothers come to him looking for food and his dream has been fulfilled. They are bowing down to him as one who finally has power and authority over them and over their livelihood. Though Joseph recognizes them at this point, they still have no idea who he is. So he has some freedom to observe their behavior with some anonymity. After their first visit, he gives instructions for all of their money to be returned to them along with the food they'd paid for. And I wonder, was this out of genuine goodwill for his family? Or was he testing them to see if they'd act honorably and with integrity? Regardless, he tells them not to come back unless they also bring along Benjamin, their youngest brother, his, his only full brother. And eventually, once their food runs out, they have to do exactly that. They bring along Benjamin, though their father Isaac is devastated by the thought of possibly losing him too. The only other son besides Joseph, born to the woman he loved the most. And that is where this chapter picks up. And again, at the end of this visit, Joseph makes some incredibly puzzling decisions. As he is sending his family away, he once again orders that their money be returned. But this time, he also gives instructions for his own silver cup to be placed in Benjamin's bag. Now, optimistically, we can hope that the return of the money both times was potentially an act of goodwill, wanting to care a little extra for his family and make sure they had everything they needed. But the cup? That was extra. That was something else. Joseph sends his palace manager after his brothers to expose them, and it's so interesting to me the way this story unfolds. Because the required penalty is that whoever was found with the cup would have to return to the palace as a slave. And this makes me wonder if Joseph planted the cup in Benjamin's sack on purpose, because he wanted to see how his brothers would react. Would they treat Benjamin, his full brother, the only other son of his mother, with the same contempt they had shown to him? Would these brothers who had sold Joseph into slavery also sell out their youngest brother, Benjamin, leaving him behind as a slave so that they could go free and continue on their way home? Can you imagine the suspense as Joseph waits to see what would happen? Eventually, all of the brothers return to the palace to beg on their brother's behalf. They're determined to not leave him behind. But perhaps what is most striking to me is the one who leads the way in this conversation, the one who speaks up with boldness to defend Benjamin is Judah, the very one who led the charge in selling Joseph, the one who first had the idea to send him away. Judah, who sold out Joseph, now stands in front of Joseph, pleading to be allowed to remain as a slave instead of his younger brother Benjamin, begging for the consequences to fall on his shoulders so that his brother could go free. What a profound transformation. Throughout this story, we often focus on Joseph, 
and rightly so, he experienced severe hardship and continued to be faithful to the Lord. We see the ways that God orchestrated things to put him in a position of power to rescue many people. That's amazing. And I am also interested in this story of transformation. This story that highlights a brother who went from betraying his own flesh and blood to defending his family with a willingness to even lay his own life on the line. We're not given all the details of how he got from one point to another, but to me, that is a striking and powerful story of transformation. I wonder what Judah thought as he witnessed this total change in character in his brother. I wonder how many times he had replayed his last moments with his brothers before he was taken into slavery. I wonder if he had Judah's face and his words permanently etched in his memory. I wonder if he developed an image of the man Judah would become, if he thought he would always be mean, selfish, and cruel, or if he hoped for something different. I wonder what was happening in his mind as he now witnessed this self-sacrificing man seeking to defend his brother. And I wonder if we have people in our lives that have deeply hurt us in our past. I wonder if there are people who we might be carrying an image of that is negative or ugly and maybe false. Do you find it difficult to hope that people can change, truly change? And if people from your past showed up in your life now and showed that they had been transformed, what would your reaction be? Would you be happy? and maybe relieved? Would you feel resentful that the change didn't come sooner? Would you be interested in a renewed relationship or would it feel too late for that? As you consider this, how is God getting your attention through this story today? And is there anything he might be inviting you to do about it? God, I praise you for being a God who is one who transforms. And thank you for this story, this extra story of transformation of Judah um, being a completely different person from when he sold his brother Joseph to when he was defending his brother Benjamin. Um, and I pray, God, that for each of us, that we would hope for that transformative power to be at work in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. May we um, look to see them with your eyes and may we rejoice when that transformation happens. Um, and in the places where it, where it hasn't yet, may we continue to pray with hope, believing that you are a God who can redeem and change and transform every one of us. And we love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.